You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Matthew Stafford is on the trading block, so today we'll be dedicated to providing you deep insight into the Detroit quarterback with ESPN Lions reporter Michael Rothstein. We talked about Stafford's health, those back injuries, and more. How long Mike thinks Stafford will keep playing, why he couldn't win in Detroit, and what it might take to acquire him, plus a few dark horse teams to watch. You should follow Mike for any news on Stafford. He's on Twitter at Mike Rothstein, R-O-T-H-S-T-E-I-N, and he'll have stories starting probably, I think it's Monday or Tuesday, about the teams that he think will be in, that he thinks will be in the race. Anyway, you can read my work on ESPN.com, of course. Before I play my conversation with Mike, I want to provide a few thoughts. As of Sunday night, Kyle Smith remained a part of Washington's organization, but as you know, I certainly don't expect that to last. When that happens, I don't know. Yes, it's a gamble as you're letting a young, respected evaluator leave the organization, something I've heard from people who have worked with him but who are also in other organizations. You can trust Ron Rivera and his decision-making here and think it will be okay. That's fair. Listen, change happens in the NFL, and if your organization crumbles because one young guy leaves, you didn't have a good organization. It's not as if Martin Mayhew and Marty Herney are dumb or fools or whatever. They both are respected in their own rights and provide the experience Rivera wanted. They've had success and failure, like pretty much everyone who has ever held this position, and their successes seem to come when they have good quarterback play, which is true of most people in this business. And I do think this signals Rivera's desire to go for it now. I have a hunch that Rivera did not want to see if Smith could handle the job because it would be new for him. And there are people who do think he's young. It's not some people here who like him. They, they feel like he's young. It's just that they felt like he might get more of a look here, or at least an interview. Having said that, I also think Smith's ties to the past here, and specifically Bruce Allen, did not help him. That's a theory I've heard from a few people. I don't know if this is accurate, but it's what some believe because they're trying to make sense of this situation, just like I am, just like you are. And as I've also told you before, I've not heard of any rift between Rivera and Smith, so talk like that to me is off base, and I feel safe in saying this. Regardless, it will be interesting to see what Smith does in his career from here on out. Again, he is respected, and what also Washington does in the short term, because again, you can change guys. If you know, I always say it's not so much about if you let a guy go, that's fine. What's your plan to replace him? What plan do you have? And don't forget that Mayhew and Herney have been in this game a long time, and they have their people that they would probably want to bring in. That's why there are reports that Washington could also make big changes to the rest of the scouting staff. And aside from Tim Gribble and Jeff Scott, Gribble is the director of college personnel, Scott is the assistant director of pro personnel, I do. I was told that the other scouts, their contracts are up. Now, I don't think that Eric Stokes and Donnie Warren are part of that, of being up. And those guys came in 
specifically because of Rivera. He hired those guys for a reason this summer. The Scots have done a good job here the last few years under Smith. These guys, I'm sure, are loyal to Smith, so perhaps this is a natural byproduct of, of letting him leave. Um, whenever, again, whenever that happens. But it does put pressure on this group to then rebuild well. And again, Herney and, and Mayhew have been around a while. Mayhew's worked for multiple organizations. So you also know many people in the pipeline that maybe you would want to hire for various jobs. That's all fair. We'll see if they can get it done. You know, and if they don't, it'll be another a franchise regret. If they do, then if they do do something and they do well, then people aren't people are going to be okay. As for Stafford, I do expect Washington to be in the mix based on what I've been told. I don't think I'm shocking anyone by saying that. And it's the right way to go. I don't know what it would take to get him. I do know they gave up a third and Kendall Fuller for Alex Smith three years ago. It will take more to get Stafford. I would assume, I clearly assume a first round pick is a must. And then it depends on what the competition can offer as well. And, you know, if, is it another pick? Is it, and what, is it another for Washington because you're picking 19th? Is it another first down the road? Is it, a, is it a second this year? I don't know. Washington does have depth along the defensive line. I wonder if they would part with one of those tackles, especially considering it will be hard to acquire Stafford and extend him beyond his 2022 when his deal is up and keep all those defensive linemen. When, because it's going to go in success and boom, boom, boom. When Mike and I talked, he mentioned how a guy like Ryan Kerrigan wouldn't cut it. But as you know, he was just bringing up a name. But just to point out, he's going to be a free agent, so he wouldn't be in the mix anyway. I wouldn't give up Chase Young, and I probably wouldn't give up Montez Sweat. Um, but, you know, I think that would be, he'd probably be more the one you look at. But I think it's, they have that depth at tackle. And those guys are good players. So it's not like they'd be giving them garbage. Those guys can play. So we'll see. I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know what they're going to offer. That's just me. Complete speculation. So do not take that as anything other than trying to guess what it might take. And throughout the next few weeks, until this thing is done, I'll have more people on who we can talk about this more. I told you a couple weeks ago, I talked to a former Detroit coach who loves Stafford and thinks he's a tough guy who is damn good. He's also considered smart. And as one person here told me, quote, cool. Mike will provide more insight in a minute. I did talk to someone here who did wonder about the lack of mobility, and that seems to be something that they, mobility seems to be something that these coaches would absolutely want. However, there's no doubt what they want most is a really good quarterback, and that's Stafford. I talked to another NFC scout who felt he'd be a very good acquisition and has a few good years left. If you're a coach who was close to retirement in Carolina and who knows he has a young team that could take a big step with a good quarterback, in a division where it's there, it's there for the taking for the next few years, I think you're going to be aggressive. Whether they have enough, I don't know. And one thing to keep in mind with Stafford's contract, his cap hit next year is only $23 million because part of the $33 million for Detroit is a $10 million signing bonus that was prorated, or that part of the proration. So in Washington, or whoever gets him, it would only be $23 million. And I think the following year, I think it's only like $25 million. So that's two very good, affordable years for a quarterback at his level. Anyway, that's it from me. Now let's get to the good stuff. And after this break, I'll be back with ESPN's Mike Rostein as we go over all things Matthew Stafford. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with ESPN's Mike Rothstein. Mike, you're going to be the most popular guy 
at ESPN for a little while as, as teams figure out what's going to, or people figure out what's going to happen with Matthew Stafford. For you, though, how surprised are you by the timing? I'm not surprised at all that this is the inevitable conclusion, John. I mean, this is something that I think when I came on your podcast, what was that, back in October? Yeah. We talked a little bit about this possibility then. This always seemed like it was what was going to happen once the Lions season started to go south at really in September, that this was maybe going to be it for Stafford. And then once Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia were actually let go a couple of days after Thanksgiving, it really seemed like this was going to be the inevitability, whether it was this year or next year, that Matthew Stafford asked out of this, that asked to be traded, basically. Let me explain this to you. Matthew Stafford is somebody who never said a bad word about a teammate publicly, never criticized coaches or GMs publicly, and never, like, that just wasn't his style. Like, when I spoke to somebody who was kind of in his orbit, they even told me that they didn't think that Matthew Stafford would ever ask for a trade. So the fact that he went to them and said, hey, I think this will be good for both parties should tell you how, I guess, frustrated he probably was by the situation and by everything that was happening and maybe not wanting to go through another rebuild again. And that's what this is going to be. So that's a long answer for saying I am not surprised that this is happening and I think for fans of Washington or any other team that's interested in Matthew Stafford, they should not take this as the Lions wanting to give up on Stafford or their questions about his ability. It's nothing like that. It's literally, I think everybody involved realizes that he gave him a dozen years and I don't anticipate the Lions being super competitive here in 2021, maybe even or 2022. So by the time you are competitive again, then you have to make a decision on Stafford anyway. So I think this just accelerates the process. And that's a gr- I was going to ask you all that too, because I think people wonder, like, what does Matthew Stafford have left? Before I get into all the particulars of, you know, what they might be looking for, how much does he have? He's only 33 years old. He's been a very good quarterback. How much longer do you think he can go and at what level? Well, he's still 32 for like another three weeks. Right, right. By next season, he'll be 33. Right. Listen, I think he's got five, six years left in him. Um, I think he'll, he would be rejuvenated somewhere else. There are obvious injury questions. He's spent the last part of almost every season, the last four or five years, dealing with some sort of injury. Last year, he missed the eight games with a broken back. The year before, he played through a fractured back this year he literally gutted through thumb ankle and rib injuries the last month of the season and if you look at it with this context now I was shocked he played week 17 but that was a massive giant red light clue that 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 he felt that this was going to be it because I don't think if he thought he was going to come back in 2021 he plays that game because as tough as he is and that's the thing he's incredibly tough because there's for all the injuries we know about I'm sure there are a litany of injuries that we don't. He played, and he played well. So I think he's got a lot left in him. I think when he plays well and when he's healthy, and you saw that in the latter, the first half of 2019, you yeah. saw that in bits and pieces this past season, he can play at a Pro Bowl level. I think that's where he is. I think if he has a team around him, a better team around him, then – he can maybe even end up in a fringe MVP discussion. Last In 2019, if the Lions were better, 
in 2019 as a team, and their defense was bad, and they had no run game. But if they were better in 2019 and in contention for a divisional title, I think Matthew Stafford would have been in the conversation for the MVP race had he stayed healthy because he was on pace for a 5,000-yard season and an astronomical number of touchdowns and, and very few interceptions. Like That's the Matthew Stafford that's at his best. At his worst, he makes mistakes, he forces too much, he puts too much on himself, but that's where a fresh start could come into play for him because you have to wonder how much of that was just kind of residue from so many bad Lions teams where it was, if he didn't do it, they were screwed. Well, Imer, will the injuries limit, do you think, what the Lions can get for him? Because Now, I know there's going to be a lot of competition, But with that health factor, that has to be a concern for some teams moving forward. Does it or does it not? I don't think it does, largely because the ankle injury – I mean, again, he played through all of it and he played fairly well. But the rib injury is going to heal. Like he's got six, seven months. The ankle injury – what seemed like it was okay. The thumb injury, Matthew Savard said he wasn't even thinking that he would need surgery on it. So to me, the only injuries he's had that I would, as a team trading for him, want to get really looked at by my doctors are the back injuries. Right. Um, now, he played pretty darn well this year through them, you know, if there is anything going on in spite of that. But that would be something I would want cleared by my medical staff. Other than that, no, it's not like he's dealt with an Achilles or an ACL, anything like that that we've seen with quarterbacks and other players in the past that can limit them. Like the injuries Matthew Stafford has suffered have largely not been those types of injuries. So what kind of compensation are we looking at here? Do you think, and I know this is so early in the process and it's always going to depend on how much competition there is, but what do you think is a realistic at this point compensation package? Well, a, a source I spoke with last night, who's very familiar with the situation said they wanted fair market value at least. So to me, fair market value, you're probably looking at a first rounder, whether that's this year or next year, maybe a second rounder, whether that's this year or next year, maybe two firsts. Uh, And then I think it depends where that first round pick is. If it's in the top 10, maybe you go a first and a third. If it's, you know, where Washington is going to pick or... Where, you know, or where Indianapolis, which is another hot name for hot team for him, is going to pick. Maybe you need to, to pony up two firsts or a first and a second. Or they have so many holes that a young player could sweeten that pot, too. Uh, and, you know, we don't always see player for player trades in the NFL like we do in the NBA and in Major League Baseball. But I think that that's something you could see out of the Lions because. They have so many holes, John. They have holes. They have holes literally now. Every position except for tight end, and even then you might need a number two tight end. Every position on your roster for the Lions has a hole. Quarterback, running back. They have two receivers under contract. And frankly, if they get rid of Stafford, bringing back Kenny Galladay makes even less sense. The offensive line, they still need to figure out right guard and the long-term solution at right tackle. On defense, every position, like I said this, last week on uh, a TV hit that if you had a whiteboard, you could just list every defensive position and just check all the boxes because you need all of those things. Like that's how much they need. So if there's a position, say where Washington in this case, has, 
Right. Like, and listen, we all know Detroit needs defensive linemen. Maybe there's a young defensive lineman that they're willing to package in there to to sweeten that pot. I don't think they would take a veteran. Like, I don't think they would take a – I'm just throwing this out there. I don't know his contract status off the top of my head. I don't think they'd take, like, a Ryan Kerrigan because Ryan Kerrigan, by the time they would be competitive, would probably right. be – You want a young gone. defensive lineman. Like, yeah, you, you're looking at – Yeah, like, listen, you're not going to trade Chase Young, but, like, yeah. Amontez Sweat could be a very interesting – you know, if if you're needing to maybe sweeten that deal, I'm, I'm just throwing that out there. Obviously, right. there's been no conversations about Could be that. one of the tackles too, yeah. Right. Like, they need we don't know rushers. They need tackles. Like, so they – but they need linebackers. They need corners. They need – corner they might be okay at. But, like, safeties and they need every – they need receivers too. So, anywhere that you're looking that you may have an excess if you're a team, I would throw a player in there because that might get it over the edge. How much, you know, you were there too when Mark Mayhew was there. Obviously, they're not going to get it just because Mark Mayhew's here, but he has, he was drafted him, was there with him. How much do you think that connection will factor into the situation? Well, I don't know how much it will or won't because it is not clear how much like Stafford's going to actually have a say in where he goes. It's not like he has a no trade clause, at least as far as any, any of one knows. So I still think the Lions will make the best deal. Now, the Lions could potentially go to him and say, hey, we have these three deals. We feel good about all of them. What destination would you want? I mean, if I'm if I'm the Lions and I really want to do right by Matthew Stafford and and that ends up being the scenario, I would do that. But I don't know whether that's necessarily going to be the case. I think Martin Mayhew knows Sheila Ford Hamp, the Lions owner, pretty well. I mean, Martin, obviously, because Sheila, even though she wasn't the owner then, was around, like, and Martin had been involved in some other stuff around the community that Sheila had also been involved in. So there is that relationship. I don't know how well he knows Rod Wood. I don't know if he knows Brad Holmes at all, the GM. Those are all other questions. I don't get the sense that that's going to make a big difference other than Martin Mayhew knows what Matthew Stafford is. That's what as much as I'm getting at. Right. And and what Matthew Stafford is not. But even then, even then, Matthew Stafford to me became a much different quarterback over the last four to five seasons and a much better quarterback after Calvin Johnson retired. And that is something that Martin Mayhew did not see firsthand. So that's part of it too. But Matt, but he, Martin Mayhew knows all of the intangible stuff about right. Matthew Stafford. And listen, he was Martin Mayhew's first ever draft pick. He was the guy that he entrusted to rebuild a franchise once. So one would think that it's entirely possible that he would feel comfortable doing that again. And you talk, and I wanted to get about the evolution too, because in your reaction piece that you had on ESPN.com right now, one of the things you mentioned was spreading the ball around more. How did that, how was that a function of his evolution? What, and I know Calvin not being there helps, but I think it's also something as an evolution of his ability or his, how he's processing the game too. Yeah, I think part, I mean, listen, a lot of it was, Matthew Stafford became somewhat over-reliant on Calvin Johnson because Calvin Johnson, you know, we'll see if he gets in the Hall of Fame in a week or so here, but Calvin Johnson, if he was in double coverage, that was still kind of like a thing that was considered open, for lack of a better term, or single coverage, like for almost any other receiver. So it, it changed how I think Stafford looked at the offense was that was the failsafe. And 
Once Calvin Johnson retired, he didn't have that option. He had other good receiving options. Marvin Jones ended up being a very good receiver for him for five years. Golden Tate was a great over-the-middle option and underneath option for him. Kenny Galladay obviously became a pro bowler, having Stafford throw him the ball. So he had these options, but he had more of them. And he knew that he didn't have the Calvin Johnson type that could be the bailout. So he had to take what he could get to move the ball down the field. And that was something that Stafford said a lot too over the last few years when we asked him, hey, why didn't you go deep? Why didn't you take deep shots? Why didn't you take intermediate shots? He's like, I took what they what teams gave me and moved the ball down the field that way. And that was an evolution that really came under Jim Caldwell. Like Jim Caldwell really coached that into him. And I think that combined with Calvin Johnson's retirement really pushed Matthew Stafford in that direction. Because early in his career, when Mayhew was there, he was what you would call a gunslinger. He would right. air the ball out down the field. The strongest arm in the game probably has, what, the third strongest arm right now behind Josh probably. Allen and Mahomes. But, like, so it's still there. I mean, he's still got the cannon. But he just unleashed it at different times. And I think he became more accurate with the deep passes, too. Now, some of that could have been Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones being two of the better deep ball receivers and better contested catch receivers in the league. Um, and they replaced, obviously, Calvin Johnson. So that, I think, maybe helped a little bit. But you saw a a more strategic, a more efficient Matthew Stafford after Calvin Johnson retired. I think part of that was function of growing up. Part of that was function of coaching from Jim Caldwell and, and that carried over. And part of that was just Matthew Stafford being forced to do that and not having the giant, you know, Megatron-sized safety blanket. I got two more for you because I know you got to get going here too. And I think one is going to probably be longer than the other. What, you know, because teams, people are going to all, they always look at wins and losses for quarterbacks. It can be an unfair stat. It can be a telling stat. The Lions never won with him. Why not? Well, John. And so that, that's gonna, <laughs> that could probably last the whole thing. Yeah, I don't think your read, I don't, readers, I don't think your listeners got that type of time. But uh, <laughs> no, simply, Matthew Stafford never had a running game, ever. Like this year, in 2013, he did with Reggie Bush and Joyke Bell. And this past year, they had a facsimile of one when DeAndre Swift was healthy. Other than that, he never had a run game. Like to go along with it. He never, and he's a really good play action quarterback. He doesn't get enough credit for that. But it was never as available to be sold because the run game was so anemic for so often. I mean, under Matt Patricia, they would love to run the ball with Adrian Peterson twice in a row. And it was just not that second run was like running into like me running into like my computer screen and falling down. That's just what it was. So that was part of it. And also, he very rarely had a defense to help him out. And I think that that's where you saw the Lions lose a lot of games was they just didn't have the defense that could keep him off the field. And when they did have a good defense, the best defense they had was in 2014 in his tenure. That was the best team he was on. That's the best team I've covered of the Lions by far. That was a good team and were the worst defensive drive of the year, a couple of bad Matthew Stafford sacks, a horrific Sam Martin punt and a bad uh, non-pass interference call away from beating the Dallas Cowboys in Dallas. And I think a lot of things change had that happened. And you look at that and like that, I think is what, and that was maybe one of Stafford's worst years because of the offensive system he was in. And it, it wasn't the best offensive system for him. So 
a lot of it just comes down to he didn't have the run game. He didn't have the defense. They had some really bad coaching throughout, whether it was coordinators, whether it was quarterbacks coach, whether or whether it was in the last three years, the head coach and this scheme that, you know, not Daryl Bevel's scheme because we saw once kind of Daryl Bevel could open it up, whether it was right. in 2019 or the last half of 2020, how good Stafford could be again. So he just had a lot of mismanagement around him that I think he takes some of that blame, but I think that anyone who puts too much of it on that as looking at wins and losses and playoff wins and losses and no division titles as a quarterback thing, which it so often is not. It is the function of so many other things. And with the Lions, the so many other things outweighed the immense amount of talent that Matthew Stafford has. I am familiar with that kind of an organization. I figured you might be. (laughs) Last one, and you can keep this quick. Who do you think are the teams to watch in this? So I don't know when this podcast is dropping, but we're taping this on Sunday. It'll be coming out Monday morning. Okay. So I think my story is going to run, I think Monday or Tuesday in there. I list a whole bunch of teams that I think are not going to be interested, but I also list some teams that I think are. And to me, the likely teams. I'm going to put them in the. You're not seeing the air I'm quotes. Seeing the, I see the air quotes. Right, but your your <laughs> listeners are not. The air quotes I'm doing are likely because I think things are so early in this conversation. But the likely teams to me are Indianapolis, Washington, New England, San Francisco, Carolina, Denver. Denver's a little. I don't know. And here here's one for me that I think bears a lot of watching. Washington fans aren't going to like it. So I think you already know where I'm going. Dallas. I think until Dak Prescott signs a contract, Dallas should be some a team that's at least con- or Jerry says I'm not interested. I think they should be considered because that has always been this like place you thought Matthew Stafford might end up before Dak Prescott became Dak Prescott. Maybe that Matthew Stafford's available. Maybe they decide, well, you know what, we're going to go with Matthew Stafford instead of Dak Prescott. I, I, I don't. Again, this is just speculation, right? Sure. There's one other team that, to me, is a real wild card team in all this that nobody's talking about yet, and that's Las Vegas because John Gruden likes to be aggressive with deals. We've seen that, but Especially moreover, we we know John Gruden loves Matthew Stafford. He said it for years on Monday Night Football, <laughs> and when they played the Lions last year. He was very effusive in his praise again. Yes, they have Derek Carr and they have Marcus Mariota under contract, but both those contracts are available to be gotten out of. And as we were talking about at the top, when it comes to maybe adding players to that, maybe they would put a Mariota or a Carr in a deal back to the Lions. And then the Lions have half of their quarterback problem solved, at least the near term. And then you figure out your future. So the Vegas to me is a real wild card if John Gruden would still be interested in Matthew Stafford and they can make it work cap wise. They have some cap issues too. But there are other teams like New Orleans and Pittsburgh that could be really interesting fits. But from a cap situation, I don't know how that would work. New Orleans, especially because they are in, well, I think it's about 100 plus million over the cap right now. Like, I, yeah, I mean, you might have to tear that down just to get to even with the cap. And then why would you trade for Matthew Stafford at that point? So I think Washington's in this conversation and I think they should be in this conversation. And if I'm Ron Rivera, Martin Mayhew, I'm one of those teams that's reaching out to Brad Holmes Sunday, Monday, Tuesday saying, all right, what's it going to take? Mike, excellent stuff for people listening. Check out his stuff on ESPN because that's great insight and you can get it there. And like you said, he's got a story coming up Monday or Tuesday that will go into even more detail with all that. So follow Mike. Mike, tell them where they can follow you on Twitter. 
You can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Mike Rothstein. You can follow me on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. And coming soon to TikTok, I think you probably also follow me at Mike Rothstein there, but I'm not sure about that yet. That is awesome. You will not see me on there. Mike, thanks a lot. Have a, uh, have a <laughs> at some point, have a peaceful off season. Oh, John, <laughs> man, you just, you cursed it. You already know what, no, I know what that means. <laughs> well, welcome to my world. There you go. Listen, we're, we're both covering all this stuff. So Mike, thanks a lot. No problem. Thank you. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Mike for joining me and thank you for listening. There's going to be a lot of movement this off season, folks. So buckle up. I'll be back with another episode later this week. Talk to you next time.